The Axe of the Blood God. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey, coming to you live or not so live from Japan. And today we're doing a special crossover episode. It is Axe of the Blood God Cross 8-4. And we have cross, three course. people on this show. <laughs> we have, first up... I'm uh, Mark McDonald. Uh, I'm Justin J.J. Epperson. Roy Blakely. And we're here ahead of Bit Summit, which starts on Saturday. It's Japan's indie game conference. Yes. But we're going to talk about a whole bunch of subjects, RPG-related. Um, we're first going to talk a little bit about E3 and some of the things that happened there, because mm. Mark was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're going to continue on to Fire Emblem Awakening, which you guys actually worked on, because aside from hosting a very popular podcast, you are also a localization studio. Yes. That's right. Podcast in air quotes, and right. localization studio <laughs> in, in air quotes. But, uh, but yes, popular. We try. Popular, not in air quotes. We're actually very popular. Underlined. Are we? Okay. Bolded. Well, good. That's news to me. Yeah. That's, that's good news. Yes. <laughs> and we're going to finish up with kind of the challenges of RPG localization. But. Cool. So the first thing we're going to talk about, E3. Yes. Kind of one of the narratives that kind of came out of E3 that I found mm. interesting was that Japan had a really good E3. Mm-hmm. And being as you guys are actually in Japan and you're heavily plugged into the game community, I was wondering, what's your perspective on that and like how accurate do you feel that is? I think in terms of it was kind of a perfect storm in terms of new the new exciting announcements like you take the Sony press conference which most mm. people think is like the big memorable standout kind of moment of E3 and there were three I think really big announcements there um surprises to to most people one uh leading off the show with the Last Guardian finally uh Fumito Ueda's sure game which everybody has been waiting for for forever japan uh produced game then you had uh the shinmu 3 kickstarter mm-hmm. uh yu suzuki original developer out there developing it here in japan um of course that's like a long way off you know um last guardian is pretty closer but also probably a long way off is Finally, Final Fantasy VII Remake. Finally, Fantasy VII Remake. There you go. Um, And uh, which is also, uh, you know, being a Japanese IP being made in Japan um, and fitting perfectly with the podcast, big Mm. RPG. A lot of people's first RPG, a lot of people's last RPG, um, JRPG especially. But um, I I would say so. I mean, almost to the point where, you know, Metal Gear was there, but not... Uh, being pushed too heavily because they were not attending uh, mm. E3 and who knows whatever's going on with Kojima. But, um, you know, usually the last couple of years, besides Nintendo, which for some reason I don't count, and a lot of people don't count because Nintendo games are all Japanese. It is kind of weird, though, because, you know, even though most people will say that Nintendo just totally screwed up this E3, that they can still say that Japan, like, had a strong presence because... Mm-hmm. Usually, like, Nintendo is the Japan presence. Yeah, the last couple years, right? You'd be, like, lucky if there were one or two other major tentpole titles. You know, maybe Platinum would have something or something. You know, Platinum had, like, I don't even lost track of how many games they had announced at the show as well. Um, You know, they had uh, Transformers, 
um, a bunch of other stuff that they that they were working on. I think it was like four projects that people were counting up. But um, you know, I would say it's uh, it was a kind of Japan had had a couple years of maybe building stuff, and then now there were a couple cool announcements or. Uh, for some of the things like Final Fantasy VII, who knows what state that's in, but I'm mm. guessing that that's like a long way off yeah. just from, you know, the first time you hear about these games and when, but by the time they come out, they're usually pretty old. But, um, you know, much less you have your Kingdom Hearts, you have your other things that are there kind of year to year, not really surprises. Near not really. Uh, then near two, yeah, good yes. point. Like Square Enix had a, had a pretty strong press conference of their own. A lot of that was IDOS stuff, sure. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I would, I think I would agree with that. I think... People Persona Five, yeah, that's but that true. wasn't really there. It's true. It, it Dance was, all night was there though. That people were dancing. Oh, I saw videos. I saw videos. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. I don't want to see those videos. So much waja. <laughs> I just walked past it a couple times. That's as far as as much as I yeah. got. But um, but yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's true. That was good. I mean, a lot of people I don't I think didn't even notice it. You know, there was just like. Shenmue, Last Guardian, Final Fantasy, they're also all known entities, so a lot of people weren't really thinking about it or calling it out, but if you do sit down and think about it, I do think it was a, a strong show, especially relative to the last couple of years, you yeah. know, it would have just been a normal E3 around the turn of the century, but mm-hmm. uh, but these days it was actually really strong. This isn't, admittedly it's not an RPG, or no, actually it is an RPG by all accounts, Horizon, Yes. Yes. Single, in fact, player. in RPG, they had numbers like flying over their heads. Western yeah. Monster which Hunter, which means that I can totally talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> what, is, what is your perspective on kind of these Western games co-opting so much of the Monster Hunter elements, especially given that Monster Hunter hasn't really been that popular in the U.S. Mm. I mean, I mean, it's done all right. right. Um, Monster Hunter Four it's really growing. caught on in a way that I have not seen any of the other games. Catch yeah. on, indeed, yes. Mostly because it was on the 3DS. Yeah. Yep. But w- w- what is your kind of perspective on these Western developers, and in this case, a European developer, kind of co-opting these elements? I think maybe, it's ab- about time. Yeah. Maybe they've played Monster Hunter and they're like, "There's a there. This has an appeal. Maybe I can repackage it so that it's more palatable for mm. Westerners. Yeah. So let's make it HD. Let's make it like." You're fighting robots because, you know... I mean, I, th- I, th- I think it's great. Like, would we have gotten, you know, Mass Effect without Final Fantasy VII? I mean, there, there's other great series and things evolve out of these um, uh, Japanese formulas. You know, if you go back to oh, a lot of... Yeah. Did you just say, would we have gotten Mass Effect without Final Fantasy VII? Mm-hmm. Yes. How, what's the connection there? I'm not seeing it. So, so like a lot of the uh, so RPGs, if you speak like by decade or whatever, right? Like a mm-hmm. lot of the early PC RPGs, the Japanese creators grew up playing those, and then they started making like the Dragon Quest and the Final Fantasy VII's and stuff like that. And then there was like a period where console RPGs, just Western console RPGs, weren't even a thing, right? Like, 16-bit Western console RPGs, like, what was there? Even even into, like, PlayStation 1, like, who, Legacy of Kane, maybe, you know, people started messing around with things. So you're saying that Final Fantasy VII made console RPGs viable? I think Final Fantasy VII was, yes, console, Final Fantasy VII was the game where people said... RPG, RPGs can be a triple A console title. Like it can oh. sell huge, massive numbers. It I can see. be, you know, a, a huge thing. And then I think now that's forked and gone to. Um, if you look at like uh, the Elder Scrolls games and Oblivion and stuff like that, those are now first person. They're a little Couture. more actiony, but they're um, 
But now I, I don't even know if you think of that now as a. I mean, it is an RPG. If you don't mind me quibbling a yeah. little bit, yeah, please. Um, I would say that maybe the turning point for that was 2004 when Knights of the Old Republic came yeah. out. Yeah. Because when Knights of the Old Republic came out, um, it came out on the Xbox because the Xbox was so PC developer friendly, right? Which meant that you had a suddenly a massive influx of PC developers like Bethesda right. and BioWare developing for console for the first time. And they were RPG developers. Right. And so they came in and they brought in a style of RPG which to that point had been totally foreign mm-hmm. to consoles. Right. And Knights of the Old Republic in particular was extremely successful. And that set the stage, in my opinion, for the Skyrims and the the Mass right. Effects. Of the I, see, I see, Mark, where you're getting like basically without Final Fantasy VII, the, the concept of a AAA RPG doesn't exist. But at the same time, I feel like without KOTOR, there's no WRPG on consoles. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, well, just like we're like way off the broad, the, the topic, but kind of sure. Mass Effect comes from that. I think. Whatever. This RPG is, uh, this RPG, this podcast <laughs> is all about being off topic. All right. So. Well. Yeah. Why did I bring up uh, Mass Effect in <laughs> the first Final place? Final Fantasy Seven. Right. Yeah. Which... But- but, but why was I talking about Final Fantasy VII? Just for the remake thing? Well, no, we had moved on to uh, the game where you fight the dinosaurs. And, yes. And, yes. Yeah. So we were talking yes. about Horizon. Horizon. Yes. Um, yeah, Hori- I think, you know, it's great for people to take elements from games that are good and maybe don't appeal mm. to one territory or the other, right? Mm. Like, Japanese creators do it all the time, too. Take, take elements from Western games. Right. They're being influenced back and forth. So, like, I totally see a huge amount of people that would love aspects of monster hunter but can't get into it because of the more uh off-putting grindy kind of just have to dedicate so much yeah. time to the fact that it's on the 3ds controls That's, the fact that yeah. it's on the 3ds the yeah the fact that it doesn't you know it kind of relies on you learning things from other people which some of us really enjoy but so it's just going to keep some people out so like you know being a gorgeous like ps4 mm. uh looking game i mean i don't really care for the the enemy designs of what they showed <laughs> um is one of my like quibbles with yeah. it, but like there's no arguing that it technically just looked completely amazing. I just um, I like the fact that now, like you know, maybe maybe four or five years ago, everybody would pl- look at Monster Hunter and be like, "Oh, the game sucks. Controls are terrible. I can't hit anything. Why do I have to flex my muscles every time I heal myself?" <laughs> right. And like it's now, people that. are coming along and being like, "Actually, you know what? They had something here, and it's really cool. And you know, it's." The, the reward you get from learning how to play the game is so uh, good that, like, you know, maybe we should borrow these kind of elements. And we're starting to see mm-hmm. the fruit of that in the West, which, you know, Monster Hunter has been a, a viable, popular franchise in Japan for, God, since when I was in college, so over 10 years. Yeah, PSP days. Yeah, and uh, now the West is finally catching on. I think it's great. As, a, as, a, as someone who loves that franchise... I'm very happy to see it. In Monster Hunter 4, I think they said sold one and a half million outside of Japan, which oh, is like nothing wow. to sneeze yeah, about. Yeah. Um, it's definitely been on the upswing, and it's not into you know Oblivion, Fallout, whatever territory. Sure. But like for that for that series, that's that's pretty damn the good. The difference now between compared to what it was in like 2009 or whatever when Monster Hunter what was it 3G or mm. yeah. came out. Try. Um, Try. It, it was so limited by its platforms. Yeah. First the PSP, then the Wii. So actually being on a pretty popular and accessible platform in the U.S. Um, 
really has helped its uh, really boosted its appeal. Yeah, let's just hope they keep keep going and do like something more console related next time. That is what you, everybody wants. That would be nice. Yeah. Or both, like keep the handheld thing going and do a console thing. Sure. Why not? Mm. Speaking of console development, so one of the things that jumps out at me when I'm looking at the games that came out or that were shown at E3 is that a lot of them Mm. are, in a lot of ways, nostalgia projects. So you, I mean, Shenmue, Mm -hmm. Final Fantasy VII Remake. Even Last Guardian, to an extent, is, (laughs) even though it's a new property. (laughs) It's so old that it's it's become its own own (laughs) nostalgia. (laughs) It's, it's, could be a retro But it's based on the appeal of Shadow of the Colossus and Eco, which are at this point more than a decade old. Yeah. Mm. So I'm wondering, like, is this an indication that Japanese console development is on the rebound, or is it just Japanese developers have caught on to the fact that there's a lot of nostalgia for these properties, and so they're putting their resources into making them work? I definitely don't think Japanese console development is on the rebound. Mm-hmm. I think like more now more than ever, mobile is king, and it's just becoming more and more like that. I think there are probably people within the companies that make still make uh, console games because you know that number is dwindling. Um, that still like like consoles and will have these kind of passion projects, but I think you know I think it maybe just was a perfect storm this year. I mean, I think Japanese development was so dominant in you know eight and sixteen bit and even into the thirty two bit generation that that it makes sense that those nostalgia products you know remakes and do overs and spiritual successors are just mm. popular everywhere, and just the fact that the um, you know, it might be a few more years. You might start seeing more nostalgia for when things shifted over to Western developed franchises and stuff like that, and remakes and things of those those early games. You know, some people were wondering if Mass Effect was going to be a remake of the first one, just to bring it back to Mass Effect for some reason, <laughs> um, or if that was if that was a new one or something like that. But I think it's getting into that time period where that stuff could happen. But you know, I think it does make sense that Japan uh, takes uh, making less games in general. They take less risks than they used to, mm. uh, and so as everybody plays it more safe with remakes and uh, and spiritual successors or, or reboots or whatever, um, I think it makes sense that Japan would have a higher ratio of those than than other places right. as well. True or false? The PlayStation Four is doing better in Japan than before. Like that, it's starting to catch on. Mm. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I feel like it is. I mean, better than before. It, it's, it's not saying much. It's doing better than before, but it was doing atrociously before. You know, games yeah. like it needs a Splatoon, Dragon Quest Monsters, and um, not not uh, not uh, Dragon Quest Monsters, Heroes. but Dragon Quest Heroes. You know, it it really didn't. PS4 did not have many games created and meant to appeal just for Japan, you know, like their Christmas last year when they had their their uh, pre-TGS conference um, right around PAX time, it was like Ubisoft got up on stage and was like, here's like five titles. Yeah. That would never happen, you know, before. That's also where they announced Heroes and they did announce, you know, uh, I think they showed like a Yakuza game and they showed a, a few other games, but but it was like, wow, okay, they're really relying on the West now. Yeah. Uh, Destiny was one of their big um, titles. I think it was Destiny was the biggest selling uh, PS4 game for a while, um, which is amazing when you think about it. But yeah. it also says that uh, the other stuff really wasn't selling huge amounts of numbers. And um, part of that is, you know, it's just going to take time for 
the the uh, the games to come out, the yeah. really good games. But also, a lot of it was, you know, just like Japan Studios, Sony has been kind of quiet on PS4, yeah. more so than they would on norm- normal systems. Um, you know, um, Square and those guys concentrate on the West a lot more mm-hmm. with IDOS and that sort of thing. Um, I think it's telling that you're still seeing a lot of cross-gen stuff yeah, being announced here. Like, like, yes, Metal Gear yep. Solid Five would have been good if it were PS4 yeah. exclusive. That might have done something. Uh, that Dragon Quest, um, what is it called? Dragon Quest, not Diggers. Builders? Builders, yes. yes. That is is a, just uh, announced. It was announced, just announced while I was on the plane over here. Yeah. Cross platform, and that's Vita even. Yeah. It's Vita, PS3, and mm. PS4. It's like no matter what, you're going to get held back by the Vita or PS3 because people aren't buying the because PS4. Because the second here. that it's on Vita, or isn't MGS or MGS5, um, isn't that PS4? Ex- uh, and it's next gen exclusive. It's not on handheld or anything. No, it's but not it, on it, handheld, it is but PS3. Right. Yeah. It is on PS3. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. Oh, so that means oh man, then everybody will buy the PS3 version. Right. So it's kind of that's a, what, yeah, it's yeah. It's funny. Like I think I, I remember I forget the numbers for the um, for uh, Ground Zeroes, but I think it sold maybe a little better on PS4 because the people who buy games by and large, well, not by and large, but a lot of them did move on to PS4. It's just mm. a lot of people stopped playing console games, right. you know. So. Mm. Um, then it does become this kind of chicken and the egg thing where it's like, okay, well, do we only put it out on PS4 and push people into buying the PS4? Or do we keep making games that also come out on PS3 and not making anybody buy a PS4? But then that becomes a harder and harder thing to continue kind of as time goes on. Wasn't the last Tales game PS3 exclusive? Like, it wasn't even on the PS4. They announced the PS4 version like way after. Oh, talking about Exilia 2? Zestria. Zestria? Yeah, I think. I'm almost certain that it's PS3 exclusive at this yeah. point. But a lot uh, of games are Sony exclusive, uh, yeah. from Japan at least. Right. But no PS4 version. That game came out within the last year. There'll be a Tales game on the PS4. Maybe there'll be a P- up-res PS4 version like a year yeah. after. Well, no, I think I think that got announced. Or at least a PC version. I don't know. Wow. All right. Anyway, moving on. True or false, I guess, as long as we're playing the true or false game. Sure. sure. Persona is the preeminent JRPG. Hmm. Now true. Based on, like, you mean, when you say preeminent, you mean, when like, I say critically or sales-wise or mindshare? Global mindshare, uh, design-wise, um, global appeal. Hmm. Um, I'd say it's the only JRPG that people are kind of, like, proud that they play that still, is, hmm. like, sounds cool. You know what I yeah. mean? It's like... These days, when somebody says, you know, you play, like, uh, Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest or something like that, it's almost, like, a little weird they to people. They expect you to or have an like, anime avatar. Yeah. Or it's like, yeah, it's like, really? Like, 13? You, pl- you playing 13, too? Really? Like, you have to really be, you know, mm. into it. Or, like, you know, it comes with, like, a caveat or something like hey. that. <laughs> um, you know, 14 is kind of a sidestep hey, example. But, yeah. but, yeah. a good game. 14, yeah. But, um... A good traditional MMORPG. Yeah. Mm. But... But Persona has like an actual like the cool cachet that Final Fantasy True. definitely used yeah. to have yeah. uh, that I think it doesn't really uh, anymore. And I have to say, like the new games, I mean they they earn it. Like the the mm. sense of style, yeah, and uh, and polish well. and what they're doing mm. with those games, like definitely is like keeping it interesting. I only ask because like 
I said this on Twitter recently, and I got a mixed response. I got some people saying, yeah, no, that's definitely the case. And I got some people saying, you're absolutely, you're completely nuts. Like, Dragon Quest owns Japan. Mm-hmm. It owns Japan, but nowhere else. It owns Japan, else. but... Well, that's, that's all, I think that, that gets to what we started with, which is, like, what perspective are you framing it from? Mm-hmm. You know, is it, like, what's the most popular thing worldwide? You know, that's clear. But if we're talking about Western perception among, you know, the internet and people online and people who talk about games and stuff like that, I think it's... It's really shifted. I was talking to somebody over lunch today, and they were talking about how when they were debuting Persona 5's trailer, that there was a huge crowd in Shinjuku that was there just to watch the trailer. Mm -hmm. If you go into stores around here, Persona 4 stuff is everywhere. Mm -hmm. There's a Persona 4 anime, for God's sake. Like It seems like Persona has just kind of seeped in, and it's become like actually a, a bonafide uh, phenomenon yeah. it's pretty impressive yeah. it's not like a super huge like Dragon Quest style like you know huge thing but it is like pretty much the big JRPG series like it's fans are always you know gonna buy those games you'll see it everywhere and you don't really have a lot of people who don't like it. It is really hardcore fans too. Whereas, yeah. like Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy, have way larger numbers, but you know it dilutes down to people who are. Well, at this point, Dragon Quest is itself a nostalgia project, right? Especially around in mm. Japan. Dragon Quest has been a nostalgia project, arguably since Dragon Quest Seven. You yeah. know, you could yeah. very easily, definitely say that. But one of the things they do well is they do drag new people in you know everybody knows what a slime is too and everybody you know the characters are really iconic the music is really iconic it's used all over japanese tv um they have those commercials those car commercials yeah now they're diluting the dragon quest brand a little bit because you had the dragon quest muso game Uh, and you had the dragon quest builders now yes Mm -hmm. which i'm excited the builders dragon quest mmo yeah (laughs) true but then again you know you've always had like you know monsters and um torneco's dungeon and like you know they've had those kind of offshoot games before um there was uh dragon quest swords for the wii there was i actually liked that game yeah i did too. did you yes yeah. that oh, game was wow. was a good when it worked great concept yeah the execution was not perfect but i was like when man when they're gonna put that wii plus remote out and they're yeah. gonna redo this idea and do it right and this is going to be amazing and nobody did. and nobody did i was super sad about that People i are, really really liked that game yeah me too. really liked it um i only played the import but never played the us that said i feel like we're on the cusp of a dragon quest 11 announcement god it needs to happen so we yeah. started teasing it right Corey at anime be an offline japan expo oh yeah he was like it's gonna be offline yeah. blah 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 he starts running his PS4. mouth it'll be i think handheld oh i think it's ps4 really yeah I mean, like, if you think oh, that yeah. Kingdom Hearts what struggles graphically, 3DS? Hmm? what hand? What handheld? 3DS? That's the thing. They they always sell Dragon Quest on the most popular system, even if it's the older one, right? right. Like, remember what they did with Nine, and it really paid off. It worked mm-hmm. great, but it was like the system was old by that point. So, I want to see them do it on a current gen on a PS4. I but I think it's telling that the last two Dragon Quest games that have been announced were both. PS4 games. It's gonna be a, a smartphone one. game. No, he said that he said no smartphones. <laughs> Thank God. But like, so right in the, in the next four weeks, Jump has four weeks of Dragon Quest, to, like you know, surprises or whatever. Wow. Yeah, I think we're about it's to culminate. Get a, you think? A DQ11. Yeah. 
finally maybe i was gonna say that persona 5 like part of the reason persona has been so big is because it's been for want of a dragon quest announcement yeah. mm. and final fantasy just like disappeared so like persona yeah. just yep. kind of creeped in well, and final fantasy 15 is kind of a thing it's kind of stretched out over so long yeah. that it almost kind of disappears. You it, know, it's, yeah. it's like, actually going to come out. Yeah. that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. We'll see about so they that. Tell us. They switch directors. <laughs> yeah, mm. but I okay. Persona Five is my most anticipated game of the year. All I right. cannot wait to play that game. Yeah, I want to play it. And so in in that like, and I anticipate it more than Dragon Quest Eleven. Have they I, said is there going to be a demo or an early version or anything like probably, that? I have Persona not heard. Anything. Yeah, I mean, it comes out this year. I kind of kind of would doubt it. Okay. We haven't heard a release date. I, I know. Yeah. So I'm it's just this year they didn't say they fall just, or they winter. They keep saying 2015. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure it's December, beginning I, of December. I tried to get an interview with Atlas and mm. be like, can I stop by Atlas and see Persona 5? I knew that it was a, <laughs> a totally a long shot, but I thought I would do it just for the heck of it. Yeah. And they were like, uh, they're very, very busy working on it right oh, now. Yes. And I'm sure that they're like crunching like hell to get it out right. in 2015. So. Right. Yeah. Nobody sleeps. So moving on, hmm. let's talk about Fire Emblem Awakening. All right. Yes. So Fire Emblem Fates now out here. Mm-hmm. Some I've heard some interesting things about it. <laughs> um, I wish John was here. He's some of the controversy. Oh, God, I wish he were here too. John is I've heard some controversy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, I'm going to wait until the localization is out before I comment on that controversy. Good oh, idea. are you talking about the um, the drugging the, yeah, thing? The, oh, yeah, yeah. I thought I thought uh, that got disproved. I Gaijin believe. Hunter was that Adam dis- that, that was disproved. Yes. Yeah. Well, okay. it, it yeah it put in the larger context. I thought Gaijin Hunter uh, Adam Ivanko actually yeah. did a series of posts and put up a video about it basically translating the entire thing and um it got overblown and taken out of out of context there are still some weird parts to it like somebody does still slip something into Wait. somebody's drink without them knowing about it okay um which is doesn't the, sound are we talking yeah. about different things i don't know are there two controversies no i mean we're talking about the, the 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 drink that turns you not gay yeah right that one okay yeah. so that is the the way that it gets summed up, which is actually not what happens in the game. Right. So, so, for context, there was a big controversy, I yeah. think. I'm yeah. pretty sure that there was a character who was explicitly a lesbian. who Not explicitly, but just got really nervous when she was yeah. around like pretty girls. Okay, so, so she mm. likes girls and she does not like men, except when she gets a... and But as a female like character, like as a female main character, you cannot romance her. Right. Um, you can only romance her as the male, and as the male, you have to apparently, like, drug her, and that, like, turns her straight? So, what, so, I, we can get into this, but I only know what I saw of the video, but, but basically, apparently what happens is, um, so the, uh, the girl, yeah, she gets really, like, flustered around anytime she's around, um, like, other attractive women, you give you slip her something in her drink that's like a potion that makes her see all men as women and women as men 
in the thinking that, okay, she will like see them as men and then we'll be comfortable around them. And then when it wears off or whatever, she'll be like, oh, yeah, okay, this is just like an artificial thing. I was fine with them when they're, I can be comfortable around them and blah, blah, blah. Oh. But in the course of that, she sees you as a guy and is, uh, wait, let's see. She sees you as, a, no, she sees you as a girl. Fuck yeah. it. I got it all she mixed up. She sees you as a girl. And, but, but is that, wait, what, does that make sense? That makes sense because she's. Cause, Flustered around girls, and, and you're this a guy. is how you romance her as a guy. Yes. Yeah, so okay, but yeah, but then, and she, but she actually feels comfortable around you. And then when it switches back, she's like, "Oh, actually, like that didn't. It didn't matter. Uh, it didn't matter if it was a guy or a girl. I fell in love with the you inside, or whatever, uh-huh. or something like that." Message. Anyway, um, but for the full context thing, actually, Kotaku had a really good story about it with like cultural footnotes and like talking about manga and like where the like tropes came from and what it's what it's playing with in the Japanese context, at least anyway, that people should read. That said, localizing that like, yeah, I mean, slipping something into somebody's drink under any context is like a super loaded thing. Yeah, at least in the West, I can't I can't see a. a yeah, they're they have to have changed that. Well, the, the yeah, second. so we'll see we'll see what they do with it. But that's definitely the sorts of things that um, you know when you're localizing a game like this that gets flagged, and you're like, okay, what are we gonna do about this uh, was, about this the roofy scene? I know yeah. that you're not localizing Fire Emblem Fates, but can you speak to like how you deal with that kind of thing? Um, yeah, basically what you would do is hopefully early on you would flag something like that as mm-hmm. like problematic, and then you would. We, in our case, we would talk to NOA first and be like, hey, you guys agree that this is a problem? Yep, they okay, we agree this is a problem. Okay, let's go to the team and either go to the team and say, hey, we think this is a problem. What do you think about how we should change it? Or better, say, here's what the what you had. Here's what the problem is. Explain the, like, the context it's going to be taken in. Because normally it takes that. People legitimately don't know and don't see and don't understand that they're that they're uh, pissing people off or hurting right. people's feelings or offending people or whatever. And so you sometimes go into, like, you have to go into depth to explain what you think is just, like, common sense, you know. But um, uh, culturally, you have to remember, okay, well, I come from this whole context and I grew up and I, you know, watch the news in the West and, mm. and read Twitter and the West, and, uh, English Twitter and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, and ideally, you also present a um, a uh, alternate way to take it, and it's like, okay, here's something that is going to preserve as much as possible of what the intent of the of the scene was, but do it in a way that is going to, you know, still be whatever it was supposed to be. If it was supposed to be funny, or if it's supposed to be scary, or if it's supposed to be exciting, or it's supposed to right. be romantic, or you know, hits all the different tones that it hits in the Japanese. You try to sum it up, and then it's hard because you can't explain exactly the language you're using in English back in Japanese. So sometimes it sounds kind of ridiculous. You know, it sounds like you're changing stuff just for the sake of changing it. But um, then that's where a lot of times you just have to rely on trust. You know, um, for example, uh, how much 
NCL or the developers might trust NOA. You know, those guys work been working together for years and years and years. A lot of them have history, and mm-hmm. so that's where it really becomes important to have the trust of the developers where they have to, at some point they have to make a leap of faith and say like, okay, yep. That's if you say that that's what's going to get the same intention across, then we'll go with that sort of thing. Right. So you guys, so we're kind of jumping into localization in general, but whatever. Um, you guys have worked on a number of RPGs at this point. You guys have worked on the tales games. Mm -hmm. You've worked on fire emblem awakening, you're working on some other projects. How would you characterize your, like your particular style when you're localizing these games? Like, what are you shooting for? Uh, hmm. Well, it definitely depends on the game yeah. because, like, Dragon's Dogma was straight up, you know, like Sarah bones, yeah, with an E and stuff like that. But Tales and I think maybe you could say Tales and Fire Emblem were kind of similar. Like RPG styled, like slightly comedic. My recollection of Awakening was that it was just kind of having fun with things, and yeah, yeah. The the, the goal, in my opinion, mm-hmm. having like when I was playing Awakening was that every character have a really distinct yep. personality. Exactly. Yeah. So, so the big thing with that, I mean, a lot of it sometimes it comes from the client, and so you know we get guidelines before we start on uh on a lot of games like here's the tone that we want to hit here is you know <clears throat> is this going for a mature thing is it's is it going for as like a character study I th- i'm trying to remember the notes for awakening but um a lot of it's just what's present in the japanese already yeah well but yeah but but as and as you're translating it though i remember one of the notes for awakening was like text is part of the reward for the game so as opposed to a lot of games where you're just like blah, 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 like hitting through stuff, actually, we want people to look forward to the text as the reward. Okay, I've fought and I'm, you know, I my got my guys leveled up. Maybe I got some items and stuff like that. But also, I get to see this conversation between this person and this person, and I know they like this person. And oh, I really wonder what's going to happen when they talk to that person, or oh, this kind of budding relationship between these two people. Oh, I want to see the next one or whatever. So mm-hmm. the text is not something to be like rifled through. It's something to be a reward. So you want even just the act of reading it to be fun, even when it needs to be just informative or just mm-hmm. to tell you, hey, this character is a jerk or this character is whatever, you still want it to be fun. And so we spent a lot of times, you know, um, coming up with unique ways that certain characters talked. I mean, a lot of that comes from the individuals that worked on it, too. Um, we just had a really great team um, mm. for that game. But um, but then, then, like you were saying, JJ, like, it does... The meat and potatoes always comes from the Japanese, and it's always going to be, you know, right. it's going to start with how good the Japanese <clears throat> is. And, um, you know, those character traits, almost all of the ones that the people have in English are there somewhere in the Japanese. It's just a matter of turning it up a little bit and then also um, playing it up in a way that Western people are going to understand and, like, react to, I guess, really make them memorable and, and fun and that sort of thing. So. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any projects that you're particularly proud of, like, and how they came out? Well, it's you know you can't pick your favorite child. (laughs) Sure, you can. Oh, okay. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. I guess uh, what was it? Zoo, zoo. Probably didn't like the zoo game very much. Zoo tycoon. Zoo tycoon. Yeah. 
Wait, you said, are you proud of? Not no, I'm just saying, like, of. oh, well, yeah, that was one of our children, too, and we didn't really like that one. So much. Really? I thought that one turned out great. Did it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, you didn't even work on that one. What are you talking I about? I counted the files. Um, <laughs> Dude, that one turned out fantastic. I think one that's always going to stay with me is, like, uh, uh, Monster Hunter Try. That one was just, like, it was one of my first big projects that we all just kind of, like, hunkered down on and really just did it and it was came out really funny mm. really entertaining and it was like kind of the first it was the first monster hunter game we did and i i was yeah. a big monster hunter fan and that was, was just I. like mm. one of those things where it's like the game you love becomes the game you work on yep and love yep and then it comes out and then you're just like yeah that was awesome yeah i think trying for like monster hunter just to go to another thing like that was something too where it's like okay let's make every character really distinct really fun um a lot of that came from a guy we work with brian gray who was awesome we basically said okay monster hunter up until now is a we really like the game but the uh the the writing is kind of a little bit dry and so we don't mind me breaking in brian gray also worked on crisis core didn't he he probably did he worked on a lot of final fantasy he's a long time localization oh yeah yeah Yeah. oh yeah a lot of a lot of square projects are his yeah he's worked on us with a lot of stuff as well he worked on for he actually worked on Fire Emblem um, mm-hmm. a bit. Um, yeah, he's working on projects with us now. He's uh, he's uh, he's awesome, and he's uh, been doing it for a long time. Um, anyway, continue. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, basically, it was the same deal where it was like, let's make it just fun. There's so much text in this game. Let's make reading it fun, and so let's play up every character's little traits. You know, like um, even if they weren't necessarily present in the Japanese, or even if you get a hint of it one time in the Japanese, like let's turn it up a little bit because yeah. um, you lose something no matter what in the, in translation and in localization you're going to lose something so um, and this is something that, that I took from um, from Alex uh, Smith yeah. um, is that um, you turn something up to kind of make up for that little mm-hmm. thing like add something in to make up for what you're going to lose or else it's going to be worse than what the original you can't just be slavishly uh accurate to the japanese or else you are going to lose a bunch of fun and flavor and it's just going to read dry and shitty so um but yeah i actually i actually was really proud of dragon's dogma Hmm. um unfortunately like things beyond i would say like beyond our control yeah led it to be maybe a little less good of a localization than i feel like it could have been like you know the pawns say the lines so often (laughs) yeah and ice and fire both yeah like um (laughs) some of the voice actors too like they actually got a lot of good very good voice actors but the like old english accent is something where if you get it it's awesome and if the actor doesn't nail it it's and it's hard to do it comes off worse than if you would like wouldn't have tried Mm. and so there was like a mix of that in there and um how but, much control do you have over the voice acting? It varies on the project. So anywhere from none at all to um, actually being there in the booth, which is where John is yeah. now. Casting the actors. Casting and- the actors, um, saying, like, no, 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 say, you know, that's my dad, not that's my dad. Like, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. The funny thing is I used to do that kind of thing because... When I used to teach English here, ah. or well, sorry, I used to do curriculum development, yes. like Japanese to or English curriculum development. And one of the big things that we did was we did like audio lessons. And so we had to go into the audio booth 
and have volunteer voice actors oh, wow. come in and record like dialogue. Okay. So we wrote the dialogue. Yeah. And then they had to come <laughs> in and actually like record it. And so we had Japanese to, people or just like no foreigners? American oh, okay. uh, like teachers from England and uh, okay. Western countries, whatever. Right. So you know all the different ways that people can fuck up something that you wrote that you thought Correct. there's yeah. no other way to read this than <laughs> yes. the way that I wrote it, and yet. I mean, sometimes it's literally one word. You can sit there, and they're not saying the one <laughs> word right. And it, it drives the actor crazy. Like, it's really, like, what? Like, saying the word what? There is, like, I don't even know how many dozens of ways to say that that would sound completely wrong, depending on the context. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, it's, it can be completely maddening, and it can also be, like, some of the most satisfying when it goes well. Some mm. of the most satisfying work I think you'll do, but... Even just the inflection can be kind of weird. Oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's that's half of you know. That's there's so much. It never astounds me how many different ways there are to read something that you're just like, I don't even need to leave a note about how to read this because of course they're going to read it. You know, this way, such and such a way, and yeah, and then you get it back, and it's just like I they just totally didn't get it. Or or sometimes they'll actually make it better. Which is even a little more scary. Which yeah. is like shit. I, that's even better than I had it in my head. Like that's when it's that's when it really is uh, is awesome when you're in the booth and that happens. Mm. Fire Emblem Awakening is probably my favorite project of yours. Oh, nice. <clears throat> and okay, I say this you. because, <clears throat> sorry, um, I say this because the writing like really jumps out at me mm. and. That's a tri- tricky game to localize because you have to yeah. like the characters because yeah. a large portion of that game, you, you said the reward is in the text, right? A large portion of that game is you have to like your characters enough that you want to keep them alive. Yes. Exactly. And then you want to put them together, right? Like half the fun of that game right. is getting them into romances and then seeing what kind of kid they come up with, right? right? Yeah. So, I mean, you have to have like really broad personalities without being annoying right right exactly yeah and and also you don't want people to overlap you know what i mean like there's it's a big cast i think it was like ended up with like 30 or maybe even 40 characters yeah because it's not only the main characters it's whatever kids they have oh yeah exactly exactly and you don't want it to be like you know character traits for the sake of character traits like oh okay this is the mean one this is the sassy one this is you know jokey smurf this is whoever whatever <laughs> you don't want to make them like complete caricatures but you do want to make them memorable you do want to have the line where it's like no matter if the person's name wasn't even on the line you could kind of tell who had said it sort of thing mm-hmm. but that game in particular one of the things that was really hard about that game was also how complicated it could get like okay who's who's mom and dad now and you know there was like time travel and it's like well wait what happens when this person is this person's daughter is it possible for him to be his son and like does that make him his own uncle and like it was crazy we had all of i had to i had to invent a excel contraption that would compare all the different possible conversation uh, branches like so you have this one character and then you would have 16 other conversations in the one file and you'd have to match and do this and it was yeah. like this huge thing and then we had to put it all together again it was like 
this huge adventure, but it was like one of those like really big hurdles that we, we had to kind of figure out on our own. Yeah. Um, that just is like one of those things about that game where I, I'm going to always remember it, but at the same time, it's just like when you play it, you don't know how much work goes into it, but that is all really complicated. There's large bunches of text that are very, very similar. Parts of it are are pretty much the same except for when it, doesn't when it can't be or should be, be like three three lines that are different in that one scene because right. he's because like it's this other character. exactly like or you know or he's saying this now to somebody that doesn't like you know to cook or something like yeah it gets so crazy specific and all this stuff you have to keep track of all the different characters like oh did this character say they liked cats somewhere in the thing before and you know i mean there's like so many things different things to keep track of but um that one was probably that one in Monster Hunter, the most recent Monster Hunter, and Near probably were probably the ones that we got the most mm. direct kind of shout outs and people saying how yeah. much they they enjoyed us, which Near is also awesome. which is always great. And but we enjoy it when people just lo- like the game and the localization disappears too. Like we take satisfaction from that as well. Yeah. Um, well, and plus, like Fire Emblem's reputation, I feel in the in the West at least was kind of at low ebb at that point yeah because shadow dragon came out right which we also localized also did that one and i'm i'm sorry i don't recall the localization in that one but i do recall that i did not like it as much as previous fire emblems mostly because of the graphics yeah that 3d cg crap it was a throwback in a lot of ways yeah got rid of the support system yeah so remake a remake of the very first Yes. Fire Emblem. And so it was kind of a throwback in a lot of ways. It was definitely not, you know, it was, of course, it was a remake. So compared to the original first one, yeah, it was, you know, a lot different. But it what didn't feel like a full-fledged Fire Emblem, kind of, you know what I mean? It didn't feel like a big new step in the right direction, which is what I think Awakening was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Awakening worked, in my opinion, not just because it had a lot of characters that I liked, yeah. but because it took elements from across the series and finally yep. put them into one game. It took the stuff from, what was it, Fire Emblem 5? Um, forgive me, I can never remember the no, name. No, yeah. there's been too many of them. But so. <laughs> being able to have kids, yep. like actually get married and have kids, was yep. a logical extension of the support system. Yep. And yeah, they had already done the Super Nintendo version, but like yeah. it had been forgotten forever. Yep. And so to put that back in and then... In the Fire Emblem, I think it was like seven. Yeah, it was seven. With the first one that came out in the U.S. Okay. Um, had the kind of the player created character, and mm-hmm. even though like they didn't play a large role in the story, like they served as a player point of view character. Mm. Right. And I always thought that was it was kind of fun to have the characters like addressing you as if you were like part of the action. Right. In that so in that case, I loved that you could create your own character who was on the field who played a substantial part in the story and could romance everybody. It felt yes. like a, a logical extension. I thought you guys did a really, not to like constantly praise you all or whatever, but I no, thought no, you guys did a great job. You can constantly praise I thought us. you guys did a great job of imbuing the, that, the tactician character with like personality oh, cool. that I can remember. So. How'd you like that name, Robin? We were trying Robin. to come up with a name yeah. that would work in uh, both sexes and yeah. not be like Chris or like Pat or yeah. one of the like... <laughs> well, I'll admit that I like kept singing Brave, Brave, Brave. There you so go. Oh, that's all right. We'll take that. Um, <laughs> well, you saw the Wada asks right where they thought that was going to be the last Fire Emblem, yeah, and so they're like, that. "We're going to throw everything. This is if we're going out, we're going to go out 
with everything we got, all guns blazing. And so they put everything into it because they really thought it was going to be mm. the last one. And um, and yeah, I mean, when we take on a game like that that we love so much and uh, played so much, John in particular is a huge, huge fan. He played through that game. I don't even know how many times. Right. Um, you know, there's definitely like a huge you feel this like huge mantle a huge thing that you're taking on which is like okay we have to do right by this game like we cannot like we have to hold up our end of the bargain because this game kicks ass and so i think it makes you do a better job you know there's no like you don't want to cut any possible corner um and um i mean that game is just so good they just had the 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 gameplay goods there so we just tried to like not screw it up on our end right yeah so you guys have been making games for a while now, or you've mm. been localizing games for quite a while now. What have you guys kind of learned over the years about localizing games? Like, what is kind of that received wisdom, having worked on X number of projects? Especially RPGs. Well, one thing one thing that I think a lot of people don't understand is localization, A, is extremely hard work, B, is a lot more expensive than you think, and C, takes a long time. Yeah, the time-consuming aspect of it. Mm. Um, I think... Um, having deciding kind of the guidelines for the characters um, early on and that's not to say that we do that all the time but I'm reminded each time that we don't how much it, it hurts like if you kind of know who the characters are and can because a lot of on bigger especially RPGs they get so big that not one person is seeing writing all of it right and so you have to really all get on the same page about like who is this person? Like, how would they react? How do they say thank you? How do they say please? Like, how do they... Um, you have to figure all these things out, but n- not do it in a way where you have... And I'm not talking about having, like, a, a book where it's like, okay, whenever this person says thank you, they say, like, this very, you know, strict one-to-one exact thing. But it's just kind of like knowing who is this person and then having different people be able to write and edit all with that same kind of image in mind is... It's really challenging, um, but I think one of the most important things to coming out with a good product at the end is that everybody, like, kind of quote unquote, gets it. Like, they get that you know who the guild marm is or whatever in in Monster Hunter Four. And when I have to edit something that our translator already wrote, I can do it kind of in that same voice still, or maybe I can make a joke a little bit better you know or like turn something something that the mm. other person didn't notice i can be like oh you know what though she would say it like this and then just put a little extra touch on it um yeah i think that is the more i do it the more i, I figure out it's how key it is to have different people all kind of on the same page yeah having taken a localization test i can say that one of the hardest things is to stay consistent mm-hmm. like item oh, yeah. names like in the voice of the characters oh, my God. Yeah. the style Yep. It's it's really tricky, actually. Yes, you have to be super OCD. Roy, like, how long have you been working on uh, localizing games, and what have you kind of learned? I've only been here about a year, mm-hmm. but um, I, I would say that the, the biggest thing I've noticed is that consistency. Like, maintaining that is an extreme challenge. It's like your brain has to always be on, and like you have to be kind of looking at every element of what you're reading and, and like breaking it down. Like, is this right? Does it, why is this here? Is this belong? Does this belong this way right here? You know that right. kind of mentality. And it's like a, the elder tells you to go get like the black hammer of Ra or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then you have to be like, okay, 
Black Hammer of Ra. So is that is that part of a weapon series that are all of Ra, or is it is it actually black? Is the item actually black, or is uh. it a line of weapons that are all black and they all have different names or whatever? It's like you can really go down a rabbit hole on a tiny little bit of text, right? Mm. And and pick it apart and be like, okay. Is every part of this exactly right? Is it going to be? Is it not going to confuse people or mm-hmm. lose people? And even going like beyond the text, like, is this person standing in front of you? Are they talking to you on a, on a phone? Like, yeah. Is it is this the right laugh that they use when they talk to me? Like, there's just so many elements that you don't think about until you're controlling all of them. Right, like with Monster Hunter, right? Mm-hmm. When you came on and we were working on that, I mean, a lot of it was keeping track of how different people laugh. Yes, right? I like, remember that. People consistently laugh like, guahaha, yep. or other people laugh like, hi-hi-ha, or you know, everybody had a laugh that they mm-hmm. had, and like mm-hmm. there would be exceptions about, you know, in special cases, but just as their normal laugh, they need to be consistent with themselves. Um, and so that's that's one of the things that you just learn to kind of watch out for. Mm. Can you give us a hint as to what your current project is? Um, I think we can say it's huge. And I think mm. we can say that John has been in America recording voices for two months almost. Yep. So there's a lot of voice work in it. Um, and uh, I think we can say that uh, it has a, a pretty hardcore group of fans that um mm. hopefully will be happy that that uh that we're working on it kind of if and when we can talk about that uh that we're working on it but um yeah that's our one we have one big mega project that is japanese into english and then we're also working on a bunch of uh of other little things and mm. some english and a japanese stuff but um I think your listeners will definitely be once it once it gets announced that we're involved with it. I would definitely want to hear uh, what your listeners think about it, mm. um, and then when it gets out in the wild, um, for sure, get their feedback. It's it's hard. I mean, it's once once projects get to a certain size and scale, um, that's something with this project that we're definitely reminded like of the challenges of once you get past a certain size, you need almost another layer just to keep track of of everything. But uh, yeah. We're going into crunch pretty much now, so we'll see how that <laughs> how that turns out. Yeah, and like I'm sitting in your office, you you guys are not a huge team. Like no, it's no. that's true. Like less than a dozen people. That's so. right. And we have so in, that's in the office though. One of the things that is really awesome is we have a group of people that we work with outside the office, and so um, we can tailor it per project. So. Um, uh, you know, if we have something that's an RPG, then we have an RPG, even from a particular person who makes RPGs, then it's like, okay, this is the guy who should be on this. This is yeah. the group of translators. These are the four translators we should have on this. Or maybe it's the one translator or whatever. But we can pick and choose, okay, this is an action game. This guy loves this series, blah, blah, blah. We're a big believer that that being into the project is going to turn out with a better product. Totally. Um, so we can basically tailor the team outside of it. This project, I think we have, I mean, between us and the um, the client that we're working with, I mean, I don't even, it's got to be over a dozen people directly working on it with us, and then on their side probably, you know, maybe six or seven. And then at the developer... I don't even know how many. I mean, it it takes a village. Let's put it that way. Um, but we also believe in keeping the team as small as possible 
because of that thing I was talking about before, getting people on the same page and vibing and, and getting the same character is really hard. Mm. And so the more people that you add, the more translators that you add, the more you increase the chance that people are going to get disconnected. You want everybody to know as much of the game as possible. And if you have a team of like 30 people that, oh, I'm just translating the you know NPC dialogue in this one village. I don't know who anybody is. I don't know anything about the world or whatever. You end up with a much worse product. So um, we try to make it worth people's while to yeah. really get into the game and know the game really well. Um, and also on, on uh, one thing on, on Fire Emblem, I just want to give a shout out to a guy named Alan Avril who basically... Yes just was a huge workhorse on Fire Emblem. So he was one of the common denominators of just looked at, I think he looked at almost all of the dialogue. Um, I did a, a heavy pass on the main scenario, but Alan was the guy on a lot of those conversations and a lot of p- what people really fell in love with the characters and stuff like that was absolutely Alan, really spinning gold. Um, and he's a he's a writer. He used to work for Nintendo Power. He worked for the Treehouse for a long time. Um, he actually worked on Hotel Dusk was one of his like favorite Animal games Crossing. that he worked on. Did he? Yeah. Um yeah, so he's a badass and a really good guy and he's uh Zara's, damn it. Yeah, don't don't <laughs> let's don't don't poach him. Um but um but he does also have a book um called uh Beautiful Land and uh he's yes. a, he like won the Amazon award for best fiction writer. I so think I, there's a plumber with my name in it and that is okay. there? Yeah, that's I right. Think, I think yeah. he named some characters after the stuff, different people. But if you anyway, um, you know, check that out. To look at the free thing on on Amazon if you like it. Buy it. I think you can get it for like you know a dollar or like fifty cents or something. But send yeah. Alan a, a note about that or about Fire Emblem. He's um, Frodo Mojo on uh, on Twitter. Yeah, he'd love to hear from you. Plug some stuff. <laughs> Other plugs. What else we got? Eight plug? four play is a podcast about Japan, Japanese games, and you what messed is that it up. Thing? <laughs> Japan games and Japanese games. Yes, that's why I host the podcast. Yeah, um, exactly. No, um, actually, I'm not going to be hosting it today, which I'm very excited. about. Well, just for the beginning. No, for the whole thing. Oh wow! <laughs> I just wow. decided. Um, <laughs> Good job, Thomas. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be on the next episode. It's going to be great. That's right. Yeah, we're You're literally be recording there. it after this episode. <laughs> right. Um, Bit Summit, um, uh, depending on when you hear this, uh, happened in Kyoto, happens or happened in Kyoto on uh, July 10th and 11th, I think. Um, yeah, there you should can be find our co- you can find our coverage 12th. over on US Gamer. This yeah. podcast is coming out after the show. Cool. So yeah, right. definitely check that out. Um, you're doing a lot of cool stuff while you're here. I think so. There's going to be some Twitch streams and stuff like that that you can see archives of. Um, we really trying to support uh japanese indies because uh they really need it mm-hmm. um and uh we got if you happen to live in japan hey buy rogue legacy we brought out the japanese version mm-hmm. not that long ago it's pretty awesome localization if we do say our so ourselves um and what else pretty funny twitter twitter ah uh i am sprsk you can follow me on instagram justin.everson i'm doing that now uh i'm at mark MacD. i'm at kotori and of course, you can find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Check out our Twitter feed over at US Gamer Net. Also, go to our Twitch stuff, our Facebook, whatever. It's all US Gamer Net. And of course, if you want to complain at me or <laughs> maybe give me positive feedback, yeah. you can yeah, drop nice me a line at nice cat.bailey at usgamer.net. And of course, leave a comment in our show notes over on usgamer.net. But in any case, that's the end of our show. And 
July is a JRPG month, right? I was right? going to say, yeah. Wow. It's, uh, Ann Lee started that at Chick Pixel. So, so, yeah. So, get out there and play a JRPG. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to pick up Final Fantasy V again Do if I, I have really? more time. Yeah. I'm playing Persona Q, and it is awesome. Nice. I'm going to be playing that game forever because nice. <laughs> I keep dying in it. But Don't. in any case, yeah. All right. What are your guys' July JRPG? I haven't picked one yet. Boo. Final Fantasy VII. There you go. Okay, that's right. You are right. playing Final Fantasy mm-hmm. Cool. But for Mark and JJ and Roy and myself, thanks for listening. Happy adventuring. <laughs>